Join us. We're hitting the bridge. Exploring German language and culture. Let's take a deep dive into German mentality, uncovering hidden treasures, and demystifying German pop culture. What we're Hitting the bridge is back on this beautiful day. There is an announcement I have to make. Well, we'll only know how we feel about certain things when we experience them for ourselves, right? Committing to a podcast is such a thing. The good news is we've got an audience. Yay! <laughs> There are lots of people listening and we're so happy about it. But at the same time, not everybody feels too comfortable being exposed to a lot of people in that way, which is completely fine. So Alex has decided to take a break for now and I will be continuing the podcast on my own. I'm having great fun and I'd love to speak to you guys out there. We've got collaborations coming up and lots of interesting topics to discuss. I hope you stay tuned and will continue this journey with me. I am looking forward to a lively conversation with an astonishing Englishman from Essex who lives in Austria, speaks German fluently and works as a teacher. He is the host of the podcast Yellow of the Egg, where he takes a close look at the German language and makes linguistics a fun experience. Let's give a warm welcome to Luke Green. Hello, hello Luke. Peter. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for having me on your podcast. <laughs> how about that, Luke? Yellow of the Egg. Well, first of all, how did that name come about? Yeah, so I I wanted to have some kind of play on words, similar to hitting the bridge, actually. Something that was kind of like a German phrase, then kind of translated literally into English. And I had a few different options, but I ended up with Yellow of the Egg, just because I hear all the time when people find out that I'm English, they always say, oh, my English is not the yellow of the egg, but it goes. <laughs> <laughs> wow, really? You hear yes. that? Okay. Just to explain to our English listeners, it's a German idiom, right? That's right. Yeah. So it's das Gelbe vom Ei. Or usually people say, for instance, in this example, mein English is nicht das Gelbe vom Ei. So it's not the best. So if mm -hmm. you say something is the yellow of the egg, then it would mean it's good or is, is the best is the best mm -hmm. part of the egg it's the best part of something when have you started your podcast so i released <laughs> the first episodes towards the beginning of 2021 but the idea for it came a year earlier when i was finishing my studies i studied english and german and i didn't want to teach german but i still wanted to do something with german so the studies weren't in vain So I decided, okay, I'll go on to teach English and do a podcast about German. And yeah, finally took the plunge and released it around February earlier this year. It's really cool. And I really enjoy your podcast as well. It sounds so professional you. to me. You ha always have guest speakers on and um, yeah, it's like a real radio show. 
Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so I gave a brief introduction, but I'm sure everyone's curious about your background story now. What would you like to share with us about yourself? My background story. So as you said, I come from Essex. I come from England mm -hmm. and I moved to Vienna. So this is where I am at the moment. I live in Vienna and I moved here just over eight years ago. Vienna um, is in Austria, to make it clear. Not the Vienna in America. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I couldn't speak German before moving to Vienna, or I started about a year before I moved to Vienna, but wow. I didn't have it in school or anything like that. So when I came to Vienna, it was quite new to me. And now here I am teaching English eight years later. Wow, it's amazing. And uh, first of all, when we started talking, we spoke in German, right? Yes. And of course, there is a slight difference between German-German and Austrian-German. But mm -hmm. I would have never been able to tell that you're not a native. I had well, no you. idea. <laughs> yeah, really, I didn't. I, I mean, your name kind of gave it away, but you could have been bilingual or something. It was That's a lovely compliment. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean it, really. It's, I couldn't hear an accent. You're completely fluent. It's really astonishing to me. Thank you. I mean, my, my situation was one of also a lot of pressure, not in, not in a bad way, but I, I knew that I had a limited amount of time before I moved to Vienna and I needed to become fluent enough to be able to live here and also to study German because that's what I wanted to do. So mm -hmm. it, it also came with a lot of work like hours and hours of study every single day is what I I, I subjected myself to wow. um, and you know if you have that kind of goal and you like put your mind to it then um, it, can, it can happen but I was very lucky to also to have access to people that I could talk to in German mm -hmm. um, and so that really really helped as well. So people you knew from England or France you had in Austria for example? Um, so the the whole reason actually why I came to Austria is because my boyfriend is Austrian and so he was mm -hmm. the main kind of contact I guess with the language so I would be you know skyping him every day and trying to force him to speak German to me <laughs> even though <laughs> I would keep switching back to English um, but it would mainly be him and then his family and his friends because in England there wasn't really anyone um, who spoke German or spoke mm -hmm. German with me or kind of in my circle of friends, there was there was no kind of contact there. So it was all kind of from the Austrian side. Yeah, I mean, that's the greatest motivation anyway, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Falling in love and there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure our listeners are just as curious as me about what your German sounds like at that point. So maybe you could Give an example, maybe also of a typical Austrian sentence you hear a lot. Okay, well, maybe I can quickly introduce myself in mm -hmm. German so you kind of get a feel for that. So I can say like, Servus, ich bin der Luke. Ich komme aus England. Ich lebe seit circa acht Jahren in Wien. Ich lebe mit meinem Freund zusammen. Mittlerweile sind wir auch schon verlobt. Und ja, ich bin Englischlehrer hier in Wien an einer Wiener AHS. And I would like to tell you about some Austrian phrases that I love. One that I don't think about as being particularly Austrian because I hear it all the time. But whenever I talk to people that come from Germany, 
often they have no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> es geht sich nicht aus. Or es geht sich aus. Mm -hmm. Have you heard this before? I've heard it, but I still don't know what it means. Okay, what do you think it means? Hmm, maybe that doesn't make sense or it doesn't matter. Something along those lines. Good guess, but not quite. Okay, this is, this is one of those phrases where it means kind of the same thing, but different things in different contexts, if that makes any kind of sense. So I'm going to give you yeah. some concrete examples. Say, for instance, you are at a restaurant and then you realize that your train leaves in 15 minutes. And then you're just like, oh, I, I need 20 minutes to get to the train station. Oh, das geht sich nicht aus. So that won't work. That yes. won't work out. Mm -hmm. You can use it in terms of money. So if something is, you know, costs a certain amount of money and then you're counting your coins, maybe, ah, das geht sich nicht aus. Ah, I don't have enough. I think there's an equivalent in German. We yeah. would say, das geht nicht auf. Das, das geht, geht nicht auf. Das geht nicht auf. Also die Rechnung geht so nicht auf. Okay, there's another example. Say, for instance, you have a space that you need to get through. Maybe it's like a, a tunnel or a doorway or something. Mm -hmm. And whatever it is you're driving is too big. Das geht mm -hmm. sich nicht aus in terms mm -hmm. of space as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna keep that in mind. So guys, <laughs> we learned something. And that's, uh, it's so fascinating. You speaking, you sound completely like an Austrian to me. There's no sign of an accent. <laughs> so what would you say was your level at when you actually moved to Austria after that year? It was strange because I got to a point where I could have conversations with people and I could understand, you know, the kind of introductory lectures at, at uni and that kind of stuff, but I still wasn't confident with, you know, kind of the nuances of the language with kind of spontaneous uh, conversations and things. But I did this, what do you call it? Like an entry examination, <laughs> kind of to see what kind of level you are for a course. And they put me at C1. Oh, that, that wow. Was, yeah. Wow. I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like C1 at the time. <laughs> That's what they put me at. But I decided to go for the B2 exam just because that's what was required to get into uni and I didn't want to shoot too high. What I'm asking myself at that point is, did you have any experience with other foreign languages before? Yeah, so at school I took French and Spanish. French was compulsory to take, at least at the beginning of secondary school. And then I had the opportunity to take Spanish as well. I took mm -hmm. both for GCSE, then I took Spanish for AS level. But then kind of over time, I you know, started dropping them because I wanted to focus more on music. And then obviously when I started learning German, German became the one I was concentrating on. So all of my French and all of my Spanish started to disappear. <laughs> But I figure it was really helpful now that you knew the system of these languages and grammatical terms, for example. Mm -hmm, definitely. In, in some ways it definitely helped because when you learn a foreign language, like you say, you start to learn new terms for things and new concepts that you might not either have in your first language or know about explicitly in your first language for instance the concept of grammatical genders mm -hmm. that wasn't as much of a surprise to me when learning German because they have that in French and Spanish too but then for instance the cases in German that's something that completely uh, blindsided me because that's something I completely wasn't used to at all so there were some ways where French and Spanish did kind of pre-prepare me 
but there are some things in German that, you know, nothing could have ever prepared me for it. <laughs> yeah, and also the gender. I'm thinking of the gender of different words. It's so different from French, for example. I learned French at school. And you have these concepts, like in French, a table is female. In German, it is male. True, yes. Yeah, yeah. Or like a house in French, I think, is feminine. And in German, it's neuter, for instance. And so that's one thing that just, it doesn't match up. So if you learn something in one language, it might just be a different gender in another language. Yeah, and it's interesting how the way of thinking is portrayed in these languages, right? Who decided that the chair would be male in, or masculine, you know? <laughs> It doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the interesting thing about gendered languages. I find that so interesting. I think um, it's a huge advantage in English-speaking countries that you don't have that whole entire debate going on, probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, I guess it also makes English easier in that respect to learn mm -hmm. because we don't have these kind of grammatical genders that also has an effect on the articles and the adjectives and <laughs> the inflections and things like that. Okay, we'll dive deeper today. We already heard about your personal motivation for learning German. And I thought, well, there are different opportunities to learn a language. So sometimes some languages might be compulsory at school or you have exposure through media that sparks some interest or maybe your job offers you a motivation because they have a huge network abroad or you might be traveling and find it helpful to speak to a lot of people or through a partnership or friendship maybe that could be an inspiration as well. I would guess there are certain challenges along the way when trying to find offers to learn a language. What was that like for you? Do you mean in terms of trying to find courses or trying to find people to practice with? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that was quite a challenge because on the one hand, you want to try to learn languages as organically as you can. So to mm -hmm. kind of get to the core of what the language really is outside of like the school books but then actually finding people to talk to and to practice with, unless you have that initial contact with someone. For instance, in my case, with my partner speaking German as his first language. If you don't have that, then initially that can be quite difficult. So you would need to kind of actively look for maybe like a, a tandem arrangement online or something like that. Mm -hmm. But also it, it depends on what it is you're looking for exactly, because at the same time, like in my case, I had a lot of that kind of contact, but I was missing a kind of structured approach to it. And I was oh. actively trying to look for the courses and look for the books and everything like that. And so it's then kind of difficult to try and find the course that's right for you. And you start a course and you realize it's not the course that you kind of need or that's kind of at your right level. I don't think there's there's any one particular trajectory that's, that works for everyone. It's going to be a bit of trial and error, hit and miss. I think that's also kind of part of the fun of it, I guess, is exploring who can I talk to? What situations can I be in to practice? Uh, what kind of different courses are there out there? It can be a bit, bit of a slog <laughs> to try and try and find all these things. Um, but I think that's part of the fun. 
Yeah, I would agree. And it's probably also the mixture of different mediums and uh, ways to learn the language. So you said you didn't have any offers at school. You didn't learn German at school. You did it all for yourself. In some schools, they had German as a, as a school subject, but not in mine, at least like not as far as I can remember. I think mm -hmm. they used to offer it before I went to school there. When I joined at year seven, you had to take French. And I think that was it. I think that was the one foreign language. And then if you were good at French and you got good grades in French, then you had the opportunity to also take Spanish. Yes, and it was the same for us, actually. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Oh, really? But other than that, there was, at least at my school, like German just wasn't offered. Um, the number of schools offering German is going down and French and Spanish are increasing. So yeah. Germans is kind of disappearing a little bit from the school scene in, in the UK, unfortunately. Yeah, why do you think that is? I mean, for um, economical interests, it wouldn't be a bad idea to study German, don't you think? Yeah, I completely agree. One reason that I think could be the case is, I mean, people are choosing to take languages less and less anyway for GCSEs. Mm -hmm. um, when you get to choose your options just because it's seen as a bit of a risky choice. So they would mm -hmm. rather go for, um, I mean, this is overgeneralizing, but more and more people go for things like, say, drama or music because they see that as maybe a, a bit of a safer choice to get a good GCSE, whereas languages is quite risky, it's quite tough. You need to do all your different skills, your reading, your writing, your speaking. But also of the languages, German is seen as a really difficult one. It's got this reputation of being, ah, this is awful grammar, super long words. It's really complicated, <laughs> difficult to pronounce. Whereas Spanish, for instance, has a reputation of being a relatively easy language to learn. Yeah. So would you agree to that? Of German being a horrible language to learn? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes. <laughs> no. I mean, oh. no, 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 no. I mean, it's kind of like English, but in reverse. The beginning of learning English is relatively easy because of the grammar is quite simple in comparison True. to other languages. And then later on, it gets more complicated when you start getting into the finer details. But with German, I find it's the other way around. You kind of have this massive hurdle at the beginning where you need to get your head around four cases, three genders, irregular everything, exceptions at every turn. I don't, I don't want to just kind of blanket statement really difficult because I also don't want to put people off, but it, it can be intimidating at first. Mm -hmm. Once you get your head around these initial things, something clicks and then the ball's rolling. And yes. then from, from there, I think you can start to see some of the logic behind mm -hmm. German and it's no longer as difficult as what you thought it was. I can see that. And honestly, as a native German speaker, I had trouble learning about our grammar. I, I was so bad at that at school and I never really understood the logic behind the language. And what I can say is I only learned by hearing. I couldn't explain mm -hmm. to anybody why German functions in a certain way. <laughs> I repeat what I hear. And I think that's the easiest way to go when you think of these irregular parts of the language. I, I agree, because sometimes there isn't an explanation or the explanation <laughs> that there is, is something historical or to do with the etymology. And, you know, as a learner, especially as a young learner, 
that doesn't really help you. You need to, like you say, just listen and repeat and use it and just kind of accept this is how it is. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I feel like people overcomplicate learning languages a bit mm. by making it too analytical. I mean, it is super important, but it can be overdone. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it can help sometimes. Like, for instance, if you have a German word that ends in U-N-G, like ung, and think, okay, mm -hmm. that's automatically always feminine. And the plural is always going to be an E-N at the end. That's a rule that applies. I had no idea. Thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the interesting part. No one ever thinks about that. You just learn right. these words phonetically. We don't learn about the structure behind that. Yeah, right. But th that's the thing, like you learn this kind of stuff and then someone will come along with some kind of exception and completely break your system. You don't give up on learning the system, but you kind of accept there isn't really a system for everything. You're just going to have to learn it and deal with it, basically. Do you think it would have ever crossed your mind to learn German if it wasn't for a very personal relationship that you had? No, I don't think so. <laughs> it's, it's just because German was just never on my radar. Admittedly, I didn't even know they spoke German in Austria until I met my partner. <laughs> But a lot of people don't know that. And mm. the same goes for Switzerland. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was quite funny because when we met a few people in England and I introduced my partner, they were amazed. They said, oh, so you speak English, German and Austrian. Oh. Like, no. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, if you don't know, then you, you don't know. It's not for a lack of interest. Like if it hasn't got that kind of everyday relevance, maybe, then it's just yeah. not something you look into. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but also in historical context, you probably <laughs> know what I'm getting to. Everybody knows that one person, Hitler, and he spoke German and he was an Austrian, right? Yeah, um, right. But maybe I'm just sharing my complete lack of historical knowledge but it wasn't until i came to austria that mm -hmm. i learned that hitler was austrian I, mm -hmm. i'd learned about world war ii i'd learned about the holocaust i'd taken those uh, units at school but never once was it mentioned where hitler was actually from that's why it was just completely not on my radar at all when learning a new language There are obviously different stages we go through and different skill levels we develop. So as a beginner, we might focus on building up a general understanding of the language and the feel and structure to it. Some basic expressions, we learn vocabulary, basic grammar, pronunciation, do some writing and listening, but that's mostly about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, this is also the case with my teaching English as well or watching other people learning English here and you see people learn like cow, pig, chicken or something, you know, things like that. And it's very, very basic stuff. And you ask yourself, what is the real world relevance of this? And it was also <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. not something you need immediately, but I think it's also to build up your motivation, get used to the, the structure of language and not necessarily what you're going to immediately need when you go to the country. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like a child learns a new language. We have these picture books, and you learn about the farm and all the farm animals, but you're not really able to really understand a full conversation. You're basically just training your hearing, the mm. phonetics of words. This is also something I've never quite understood: is that when you're a child learning your first language, it's so important to learn all the sounds of the farm animals, like cows go. Moo or pigs go oink. Think about the differences between the languages. What yes. you learn in English will be a completely different story than what you learn in German about these noises, right? Yeah. <laughs> My absolute favorite is in English a frog goes ribbit ribbit, but in oh, really? German a frog goes quack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> When I came here and I, I started reading children's books to try and get into learning German as a German or Austrian child would, and then it would come. At Start coming up with the frogs go quack. I'm just like, well, they're all really confused here. A duck goes quack, not the frog. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> and then moving on after a few years, let's say maybe after one or two years, you're getting to the more advanced level probably you get more conversational you understand a lot more and you focus more on speaking actively and communicating right different styles come into play the next stage would probably be a fluent stage where you become more intuitive with your choice of words and you have more variations available to you what do you think does it take to step up to that stage to become really fluent in the language I think it's getting over your own self-doubt. That's what held me back from this fluent stage in the beginning. Whenever I got to a conversation, I would just like hide in the corner and want the ground to swallow me up and I didn't want to talk to anyone. <laughs> But yeah. you just need to dive in and make all of your mistakes. People either don't care or they'll correct you, but it doesn't matter. You need to get over that part of things and then you're going to start to become more fluent because you'll kind of get the flow of the conversation and things like that. And I also think the more you repeat certain sentences, the more available they become to you on a more intuitive level. So you don't have to think too much about sentences anymore and what you are trying to say. And also learning these kind of filler sounds and expressions, learning how to say um in, in whatever language you're speaking, because yes. that could be different. Learning the words that native speakers would use when they don't know the words themselves. Yeah. Saying like dings, dingsbums, or uh, <laughs> ich, ich hab's schon abgedingst, or something like that. We say that so much in German, don't you think? Thing and things, and I do the same thing in English. See, I just did and I always wonder would a native speaker do that as well or is it a German thing to refer to everything as thing it's something that you don't really get taught I don't think in courses and at school and it just saves you so often and it can mean that you can join any conversation and if you don't know a word just say the thing that the natives we could say and just say thing <laughs> thingy or um, I don't know yes ich, ich, ich muss es Aufdingsen. Yeah, yeah. Your conversational partner will know what you're referring to. Yeah, yeah. totally. And that's that's a <laughs> that can be a proper bridge from not knowing the word, and you can still take part in these conversations and you know improve your fluency without actually knowing every word. And then in time, you can fill those gaps. It also makes a huge difference just filling in fillers, as you said, like um or 
naja or also yeah. or it, it sounds so different immediately when you use these words yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true, yeah. That's true. Like, <laughs> at the end if you have like a i don't know you can just say yeah i thought that was a joke at first but then i actually come to austria and everyone just says like order or they just say yeah at the end yeah. it's just it's just a sound it's just yeah. the region where i live we say yeah 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 and <laughs> then there's ne. In, in northern germany they just say ne. Yeah, and just to, to fill in our listeners uh, who are speaking English, it means something like, don't you think? So you mm -hmm. make a statement and then you try to get your point approved and you say, don't you think, in the end. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, or it's, it's am like I right? saying like, yeah, exactly, like, right? Being fluent isn't necessarily being native. I think it's a very different brain activity still. But to me, as I said in the beginning, you sound like a native to me speaking German. And do you have that impression of yourself as well? I don't know. I, I don't feel like that at all. I, it, it, it depends on a lot of different factors. It depends on the time of day, maybe. If I'm very tired or if I'm stressed, then I can't string two words together in English, let alone in German. And I, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to participate in a German conversation, at least not as, as well or as confidently. And in those moments, mm -hmm. you know, my pronunciation gets, I don't want to say lazy, but just kind of sloppy in, in comparison to what it yeah. is maybe when I'm like fully awake and I start saying things like, instead of like Freund, I'd say like Freund and start using the English R oh, instead. Yeah. But there, there are times when you kind of, you really feel like you're in the flow. You feel like you're one of the natives. You kind of, you don't feel like you're the foreign one in the group. So you but, can express yourself freely and fully, maybe? Yeah, and you can... It's also about reacting as well. You know, asking questions, reacting to what they're saying. It's not just about um, what can I say. It's also about how can I react? How can I be spontaneous? Yeah, yeah that's a good point, yes. We talked about ways to learn a language and how we get influenced, for example, by media we consume or... Some people go to a language course and they learn business English or business German and they, they will soon realize, oh, it gets me into trouble in everyday life or you learn all the slang and then you go to a doctor's office and you realize, oh, I can't say kotzen, I <laughs> have to say übergeben, which is like puking and what's the other word? Vomiting, I guess. But it's vulgar, right? Yeah, it's, it's funny you're saying that actually because I had a private tutoring student and mm -hmm. there was a word that came up in English. I think it was like vomit. And he asked me what that meant. And I said, oh, kotzen. And he just looked at me and he, and he was just like, you can't say that. And I was like, why not? This is, this is kotzenheit. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. He just, and he was just like, don't you mean like übergeben or erbrechen? And he was, he was just like, you're my teacher. You can't say kotzen. That's really funny. Yeah. yeah. I, just, I didn't have this feeling for that difference i just mm -hmm. thought they were the same same thing but you kind of get to know these kind of differences in register and tone later down the line 
Yeah. I mean, not to go more into that direction, but another example in English would be like to get drunk or to mm -hmm. get pissed. Getting yes. pissed is really like slang, right? <laughs> you, wouldn't, right yeah. you wouldn't go to a doctor's office and say, oh, I got so pissed yesterday. And maybe you would, but it doesn't show the greatest manners, probably. <laughs> probably. It's, it's one of those situations where they'll, they'll get what you mean but it's probably not the most appropriate <laughs> to say yes. that to your doctor. And also with me learning English, I noticed um, nowadays, especially from American English, they mix up all the cases. They would, for example, say things like he were or he go. That must be so confusing for young people who grow up around that and learn English later on. Mm -hmm. It has yeah. become so normalized. Yes, definitely. I mean, as, as we said, I come from Essex and there are people who speak more standard English, but there is a definite kind of Essex English. And also not just in Essex, in general, people don't stick to standard in, in a spoken context. It hardly really exists. So if you kind of speak to the everyday person having an everyday conversation with the family, I'm thinking of a particular family member and she would say things like, he's went or, oh. um, and I says to him, and she would add the S to I said or I say and I says or something like that. So grammatically, it's a mess, but everybody knows what we're saying and no one bats an eyelid because it's just, it's completely normal. For instance, in my family or in a lot of parts in the UK, we don't tend to say doesn't a lot. We just tend to say yeah. don't. For instance, I would say I don't, you don't, he don't, she don't, it don't. <laughs> yes. So doesn't is yes. kind of disappearing a little bit. But I hear that from American English a lot as well. So that ah, sounds okay. familiar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know exactly what I'm thinking right now, don't you? The he, she, it. How would that sentence... <laughs> <laughs> Every German child knows that sentence. For our English listeners, when we learn English, we have that one sentence that we repeat again and again. It's he, she, it, das es muss mit. So it rhymes and it states that the S goes with the he, she, it. And then and you go it, to an English-speaking country and it doesn't exist. <laughs> yes, exactly. You as a teacher, you say it a lot as well to your students. Maybe I should use it more. <laughs> I know that a lot of my colleagues do and I, I hear some of the kids going around school um, and I hear it in the background sometimes <laughs> you know it's, it's drilled into them true story so and if we think about moving from stage to stage and progressing we're developing different skills at different times for example I would say first your writing and understanding skills might be really excellent until your speaking skills start to develop and I still notice that as well for example when I write things I have way more vocabulary available to me than when I speak I completely plug out at times and just can't think of words everyday words absolutely or you mm -hmm. make all kind of weird grammar mistakes with things that you're so confident on and I know that a table is der Tisch why did I just say die Tisch or you know, yes. just things just come out of your mouth that you just wouldn't do when you're writing it's yeah it's a completely different playing field yes i know that feeling exactly yeah 
how do we improve over time, like expanding our vocabulary constantly? You might relate to that as well. It feels really stagnant that we have this set of words that we can use, but it takes years to finally learn some new words and new variations to become more articulate. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that. At the beginning, there's quite a, a steep learning curve. There's a lot of information going into your brain. You're learning a lot. And then you kind of get to the point where you can have your conversations and you kind of settle a little bit because you can... Yes. You, you know how to express certain things. You're usually mixing maybe with the same kind of people, talking about similar topics at work, for instance, and you get very comfortable, I think. And then mm -hmm. once you start getting comfortable, it's kind of difficult to then break out and expand the, your vocabulary and kind of get back into that mode of learning new things because <laughs> you've already yeah. got your system by then. Also, it must be a different brain activity because I can think of many words I kind of learned through movies or listening to stuff so I can kind of understand anything really. But these words would never come to mind when in a personal conversation. It's just not available when speaking. Although yeah. we know these words, right. that is... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you get to these stages, these new bits of vocabulary, they're generally quite low-frequency words you wouldn't really use in your everyday speech. So that, that's yes. going to take a lot longer to kind of get into your brain. Or sometimes the other way around. Sometimes the most complicated words stick with you for some reason and you can't yeah. think of a very simple one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, totally. Yeah, that's, that's happened before. And you sound like a complete client. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, because you sound so posh saying certain things, but it's just the only word that came to your mind at that right. specific moment. I mean, there's also nothing wrong with that. And it's also a bit of a, a pride thing when you use a word that's kind of a bit more more complicated or complex vocabulary than you need to it might not fit the yeah. situation but at the end of the day i'm just like oh i just used a really posh word <laughs> i think everybody can relate to that feeling when that happens yes <laughs> like oh they must think i'm really knowing what i'm doing <laughs> yeah or they must think i'm a right idiot for showing off with my vocabulary <laughs> Yeah. And what would you say are the most frustrating parts speaking or thinking about these stages of learning? Mm. For example, I would say getting from a fluent stage to a completely intuitive one where you don't have to think too much anymore because your vocabulary is just so broad, right? Mm. I find that the hardest part to reach that stage yeah i think i would agree with you there i think it's the stage where you can communicate but you're still really much in your own head so that you're not fully mm -hmm. in the conversation you're listening and then you're kind of not translating but you're you're processing what they said and then you're formulating the answer in your head and then what comes out of your mouth is very slow careful speech you know the conversation yeah. still goes but you just feel like you're inhibited just because you're overthinking a little bit you want to make sure you've got the right articles and genders and cases and things like that and pronunciation sometimes and pronunciation definitely <laughs> how difficult was it for you the pronunciation of it all that if i'm being completely honest that part of it is a bit of a blur for me 
I mean, there are certain things that I know that I definitely struggled with and still struggle with now, like the the R sound, R, mm-hmm. and R and things like that. Still, this is really difficult, especially in words where there are multiple R's, like um, Lehrerinnen. <laughs> oh, but to be honest, I couldn't say that either because that's really Austrian German. Lehrerin. No. Yeah. I, I have no idea how to pronounce that. We got like a r. <laughs> it's very difficult for me. I, that's what I struggle with the most, I think, is the R sound. Mm-hmm. Other than that, just the, the kind of sounds that are very foreign, that you're not aware of in your first language or that don't exist in your first language, like the h or the sh. Yeah. Um, that takes a while to kind of get your get your mouth around it but when you find equivalents in your own language or you find points where actually I can pronounce that sound but I just wasn't aware of it that's mm-hmm. kind of like a light bulb moment so like the sh sound we say that all mm-hmm. the time in English without realizing it we say it in human or in huge or humongous yeah. this kind of sh at the beginning and once you realize that it might not be exactly the same but it's close enough for it to sound the same so you it is, say, yeah. Huge ish is kind of the same sh sound. Some English speaking people they say ish instead of ish. Or mm-hmm. has that ever been a thing for you as well? Or have you always strived to really pronounce it the way it's supposed to be pronounced? Yeah, that was really important to me at the beginning, not to cut corners with the pronunciation. And maybe mm-hmm. in in the first stages it helped me back a little bit with the fluency thing. Because I didn't want to, you know, jump straight into trying to pronounce things and getting used to wrong, or maybe not wrong, but not the pronunciation I wanted to go for. I, I was really trying to focus on getting the sounds right before then building up to, you know, sentences and conversations and things like that. But that was very important to me personally to try and get the sounds down as soon as I could. And you're doing a great job, really. Thank I mean, you. <laughs> thinking about the most rewarding parts of learning a language, I think it's when you can have deep conversations for the first time where you don't have to limit yourself or your thoughts. Yes, definitely. When you can start joining conversations that you're not prepared for or mm-hmm. joining conversations that you're maybe not an expert in or you haven't spoken about a thousand times before if you get to the point where you can have a spontaneous conversation about something you haven't spoken about before that's yes a really really rewarding thing and it makes you feel really proud and makes you feel like you've really achieved something that is true and also being expressive not being that robot speaking but having these variations in our tone of voice and yes Another question I would have for you is German children learning English. What is your experience at school and as a teacher? English is everywhere anyway. So the kids come into school here already with some kind of basic idea. Or they they already kind of have some of the basics of English, let's say that. They've heard it a lot before. They're used to the sounds. Uh, They can Mm -hmm. say a few phrases or... Uh, they can say catchphrases from YouTube or something like that. So it's it's not a completely foreign thing to them. Where Maybe they also have deeper motivation through that because they actually want to learn English to understand the world and the media better. Right. Yeah, I, I would definitely say that English is everywhere. It also means that English is needed everywhere nowadays. And so mm-hmm. that's also why 
here English is a core subject it's a um, how would you say like a Hauptfach whereas in the UK at least that was the, the case when I was there foreign languages are not core subjects they're electives and so you can get to GCSE level and you can drop languages you don't have to take one if you look at your personal learning story you did it almost all for yourself did I get that right most of it was self-study I just sat in my room for hours and studied it and then another part of it was talking to my partner every night and we would Skype for a couple of hours and I would force him to speak German with me or he would actually like sometimes force me to speak German with him when my motivation was low and he would be like no we're speaking German now um, <laughs> <laughs> and that was actually the main source I guess I did attend one course at university it was like a starred module that was I saw that more of support because the stuff that we were learning there I had already learned through talking to my partner and through self-study but it was still good practice you know to give a presentation in German to have feedback on your writing to talk to other learners and things but the main learning came from self-study and talking to people. Wow and would you say you used helpful tools as well did you for example watch videos on YouTube or movies dubbed movies maybe? Mm -hmm. Yeah de definitely a lot of suggestions came from my partner but I tried to find some of my own I tried to watch children's shows as much as I could because yeah. the, the idea was, okay, if I want to get fluent and think like a German speaker, then I want to try and learn German at least partially like a, a child would. I would watch things like Jornalu. Some of the things that I was picking up in Jornalu were German-German and then I would meet up with Austrian people and say things like Kuchen and they would say don't say Kuchen that's what the Germans say <laughs> and oh I was just yeah like, oh, oh they said it in Jornalu <laughs> yeah I guess you learned German German and then you had to apply that to Austrian German as well yeah. it's it's double the effort then yeah yeah so there was always <laughs> this kind of doubt I mean not that learning Germany German is a bad thing but it's just not what I was going for I was planning on moving to Austria I wanted to go for Austrian German. Um, I wanted to have awareness of Germany German, but that's not the variety that I wanted to acquire. And so uh -huh. watching all of the German German shows and kids shows, and there was always this little bit of doubt in my head. Oh, there's a new word. Is it German German? Is it Austrian German? Is it Swiss German? <laughs> like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I can imagine, yeah. yeah. But here's a real showstopper, by the way, which is a segment. Here's a real showstopper. For all of you who are interested in learning about the Austrian-German relationship and um, are interested in German TV shows, there is one, an Austrian one, which is called Wir sind Kaiser. You know it, right, Luke? I introduced you to it. <laughs> I, I, I know it now, yes. <laughs> it, it wasn't on my radar at all before. It features um, an, an actor that... I know from a lot of other Austrian shows, but I just I didn't know this one before. And he basically plays the Austrian emperor and um, they invite German guests over and they basically bash them all constantly, <laughs> but in the most charming way, which is basically a caricature of an Austrian being an but in most charming way. <laughs> yeah, I think you summed it up pretty well. Yes. <laughs> 
and no offense, Austrian people are so amazing, and I love the charms. It's just he just does it on another level, basically. The guests are usually really overwhelmed with his ways and the words he uses because they can't understand his slang, his Austrian mm -hmm. slang, and it's really funny. He's called Robert Palfreder. He's everywhere, so he's in Echtfett, and that's Austrian. There's a series on Netflix called Braunschlag. He plays mm -hmm. in that. If you think of an Austrian actor who's kind of very Austrian <laughs> and comedic, then he's the first one that would come to my mind. Yeah, he's brilliant. If we think about certain breakthrough moments that we experience, we talked about that a bit before. Could you think of a single situation where you were like, oh my God, this is actually happening. I just realized I can do this. This yeah. is the next level I reached. Yeah, there, there are two for me that stick out. One of them is a bit cliche, but it's very true. And that's when you have your first dream where, oh. where German is a thing. It might not be all in German, but you know, you're speaking German, other people are speaking German in the dream. And then when you wake up and you realize, I just had a dream and it was in German. Like that, <laughs> honestly, the, the, the pride you feel in that moment, that next day after waking up from that kind of dream, you just have a really good day and you feel really good about yourself. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, I agree. And also for me, learning English, it was the moment where I could actually understand what people were singing in songs and understanding the lyrics. True. Because yes. as a child, and especially as a non-English speaker, you listen to music phonetically a lot. And for the longest time, the only thing you can up on our single words or the rhythm or the feel to a song and that goes for all the people as well they have no idea what these songs are actually about so the only thing I can judge is how does it make me feel which is mm -hmm. a very different approach to listening to music right the first time you listen to a song that you've probably known forever and you start to understand what it's about that is an amazing feeling as well totally agree yeah You sometimes use songs to learn the language as well, but then there are certain songs that you've just heard before, and then you learn the language, and then you hear that song again, and you're just like, oh, that's what that song is about. <laughs> and then you realize it's actually not 99 red balloons, but it's 99 balloons, because that's what the actual German song says. 99 Luftballons. I was yeah. confused when I heard about the red balloons for the first time. What was that about? <laughs> yeah, they just needed an extra syllable, so they just made them red. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about Nina and um, 99, well, red balloons. Balloons which may or may not be red. Exactly. I also remember I was quite fortunate to be able to go abroad for work and having business conversations there was an amazing point as well, where I've realized, well, I'm sitting in England right now, we're making plans We're really being protective here and we can actually communicate on a mm -hmm. large scale. There's a feeling that you can't really compare that kind of feeling of achievement and pride when you hit a milestone or pass a mark like that. You just feel so proud of mm -hmm. yourself. Another milestone for me was when I started to do things independently here. Like at the beginning, I was very dependent on other people to come along to appointments with me, you know, in case I didn't understand something and then they would support me or maybe even do the appointment for me. Then obviously there comes a time when other people are not going to be around and you start to have to go to work on your own. The big 
bits for me was when I had to go to, say, medical appointments on my own. Or there was a point where I had to be in hospital for a good, like, five or six days. And there are visiting times and your, your friends and family can't be there all the time and you need to communicate. And you come out the other side and you're still in one piece. <laughs> you managed to, like, communicate well enough. Um, yeah. And, you know, you're still alive. That was a big achievement for me personally as well and a major confidence boost i would guess definitely yeah what would you say enables continuous learning how important is it to have native speakers around i think it really helps i don't think it's a hundred percent necessary in certain stages like maybe at the beginning but if mm -hmm. you want to like you say have continuous learning you need to have that motivation you need to need to use the language if that makes sense if you're not in a situation where it's needed you need to come up with some other kind of motivation you need to mm -hmm. have a reason to speak or write like whether it's your partner or your work or you're going on a, a trip or something like that you need that motivation and so that often comes with being surrounded by native speakers or at least you know proficient speakers so that you're in that situation where you're forced to keep developing and keep pushing yourself And I think that's really important as well, that you need to find a personal motivation. And I'm aware that it's much easier to find motivation to learn English, for example, because it's just so accessible, it's everywhere. It will get you places. Learning a more complex language that's maybe not as spread around the world, you really need to have your motivation. Especially, And, unfortunately, with a language like German where, like we were saying before, it's got this reputation for being very difficult, very complex. It's very easy to give up on that and think yeah. it's, it's, it's too difficult. I don't need it in my day-to-day -day life. Um, I'm just going to give up. You need to find that motivation. And would you say you experienced a bigger advantage since learning German? Like, were there things in the world you started to understand that maybe you didn't understand before? Yes, I mean, there are so many advantages. There are lots of advantages in general to speaking another language. You know, you can speak to the locals, even if it's just on holidays, it might even help you to understand things in your own language. There are comparisons that you can make between, say, German and English. But I think that's an advantage from a linguistic point of view with learning German as an English speaker, is you kind of come to this realization that English isn't this kind of island of a language, but it's deeply related to other languages. And you can see this mm -hmm. in words that are really similar, hund and hound, for instance, or you can see it in cognates that you wouldn't think about before. Like the ones that I like are the cognates zaun, meaning a fence. And that's a cognate mm -hmm. of town in English. And that comes from, you know, you have your zaun, which is the fence and everything that's within those borders would be your town. And so that's oh. where that connection would come from. And you wouldn't start to think of these things if you didn't look into that other language. You didn't start learning it and didn't dive into it. It kind of just blows your mind. And that's <laughs> that might not be like a yeah. practical advantage, but it's definitely one of these kind of like mind-blowing light bulb moments that just <laughs> make you yeah. learn more about your own language. It's these aha moments where you just sit and it's fun. It's just, it gives you more insight to the world you're experiencing. Yeah, definitely. One of the moments where I was able to reflect more on English is 
the whole question of gendering in language in German. So you have <laughs> words like we were talking about Lehrer and you can say mm -hmm. like der Lehrer, but die Lehrer, you know, the generic masculine. This is a big topic of debate, you know, whether it's okay to just say die Lehrer and everyone mm -hmm. is men, you know, or should we say Lehrerinnen und Lehrer or should we say Lehrerinnen? There are so many ways to try to include everyone. And then you look back at English and think, oh, there are some words where this isn't necessary, like teachers. But then we have things like actress and actor and people are starting yes. to just call themselves actor and dropping the actress. And you start to become a little bit more aware of the necessity of this debate in your own language. Mm -hmm. And I've had debates with English speaking people about that who didn't quite grasp the whole fuzz about it <laughs> yeah. because they've never been confronted with that. What I said to them is basically it shapes your way of thinking as well. If you learn about different job descriptions and they're always masculine, for example, if you think of a doctor and he's always male and the cleaning stuff is always female, it sort of shapes your way of thinking about other people and gender in general and yeah. that could be an issue and it is an issue obviously and it's something that we we do have to a certain extent in english you know if, mm -hmm. if we say doctor a lot of people would automatically think of a man you say cleaner mm -hmm. a lot of people would automatically think of a female that isn't as visible in the word because we don't have you know the masculine feminine endings but then like learning german and seeing okay this is really explicit and you really need to you know <laughs> look at how you're using the language in order to be fair to be inclusive to not further stereotype Stereotypes, etc. That's something that you need to really look at. Do you call someone Putzfrau or Putzkraft? Or do you know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. something you really need to think about. Yeah, and it amplifies the case a bit. If you hear the same words all over, it gets safe in your head. Yeah. The language shapes our actual experience. Yeah. So as linguists would say, the more often you hear something, the more you believe in it or it becomes natural to you. Definitely. And there are people who don't think that this is the case. For instance, they're against gendering. As in, like, when I say gendering, I mean, you know, like representing all genders in language because they're saying, okay, it's just complicating things and people don't always think of men. But is that really true? Like from my point of view, as a kind of outsider still, I don't have this internal feeling because I didn't grow up with yes. this. You know what I mean? It's not this kind of in intuitive feeling. I don't have that. Yeah, but me neither, actually. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I think the solution that the English language has, which is getting rid of genders in general and just <laughs> using one thing for everybody, which is also inclusive in a way. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, you studied English, you must know. If you think back to the old English that stems from Germanic languages, there were two different genders as far as I know. In the there very was definitely beginning. a gender system. Yeah, there was a gender system. There was a case system, a gender system, inflections. It was very much like German. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, over time we dropped everything and we ended up with just the, no real genders. I mean, there are remnants of the genders, but not really as pervasive as German. No cases, really. We have object and subject. But yeah, all of these things, they used to be there just like German. Over time, we've lost them and in German, 
they're still there and it's getting more reinforced that it's there now yes. you know we've got a printing press and we have everything's kind of solidified in the grammar now and so we can't just drop the genders it's impossible <laughs> it's, Why it's can't part we? of the language <laughs> yeah it is it's absolutely true but I would embrace that German becoming more like English in that sense becoming easier and less gendered I would agree with you there I think it would be a, a good thing to just have das everything <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want to play a game now, Luke. It's yes. called Lost in Translation. Lost in Translation. Basically, we're going to look at words that are often used in German, but sometimes even non-existent in other languages. And I don't think this particular word we're going to look at today does exist in English. This particular word that we want to look at today is Fernweh. And I think that's really missing in English. It would be cool if the English adapted it, don't you think? Absolutely. I love examples like this. I don't know how I would translate it nicely into English. We have homesickness, so like Heimweh, but we, yeah, like you say. It's basically the contrary of homesickness. It's like the feeling of sitting there and dreaming of a far off place where you mm -hmm. would rather be right now because you just crave the unknown, the unfamiliar, a faraway place, so to speak. And it's, I think it's a rather poetic word in that sense. Yeah. Funnily enough, I think the ways that I would express this in English, I'm thinking of two ways. One of them would be Wanderlust, which comes from Wanderlust, which is a German yeah. word anyway. <laughs> yeah, true. It must be a German thing to dream of far off places. <laughs> maybe, maybe all the English people just want to stay at home. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. <laughs> But um, you're totally right, thinking about it. I think it goes back to romanticism, these words like Wanderlust and uh, Fandi, words of the romantics. The, the other one that I'm thinking of would be itchy feet, is what you can say in English. It's not quite this kind of Fernweh, I want to go out and explore and get away from here, but itchy feet is more like, I can't stay here, I need, I need, to, yeah. I need to be moving kind of thing. I think it has a different nuance to it. It's more like you're really impatient, yeah. but the Fernweh is more of a dream word. You're basically in comfort, dreaming about that place and sitting in silence and just being romantic about it. Definitely not that kind of franticness that's implied with itchy feet. Itchy feet implies that I need to get out of here. True. Another thing I find really interesting is looking at idioms. And I have one for you. Will you try to guess where it stems from? Because most idioms do have a background story, a historical background. And I think This one is super interesting. Yeah, I'm ready. It's aus dem Nähkästchen plaudern. Have you aus heard that before? I have heard it, but I am not 100% of what it means. I would translate okay. it into to talk out of the little sewing box. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're sewing and you have a little sewing box and you're talking mm -hmm. out of the sewing box, which implies mm -hmm. that you're in the sewing box. <laughs> Um, so it basically means, let me uh, give you a hint, it basically means to gossip. Ah, okay. So my, my guess would have been something like to talk from the heart. Does it imply talking behind people's backs? Oh, not necessarily. Just giving more information. So like maybe um, oversharing a little bit? 
Yeah, maybe.、Uh-huh. Let's just look at the background story. I'm、okay. curious what you're gonna say about it. So, back in the day, young women used to be members of sewing clubs. They came together and they gossiped about different stuff. And each of them had their little sewing box with them, and they would read love letters to each other, for example. That they received, and went at home and trying to hide them from nosy parents or something or men. They would hide these letters in their little sewing box because no man would ever、um, attempt to go to the sewing box and look what's inside. Yeah, hence chatting out of this little sewing box. They were bringing these sewing boxes, and they were filled with love letters, and they were reading them to each other, and then gossiping about it, basically. Ah, why would men ever go to a sewing box? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's a true story, obviously. Okay, so this is where they would keep all their things that they didn't want certain people to all to the know secrets. To read. And then, yeah, when they open the sewing box, that's when all the secret comes out. Up to this day, we say "Aus dem Nähkästchen plaudern." Okay, I'm gonna start using that. <laughs> I'm gonna try to add that to my active vocabulary somehow. Let's just reflect on something super interesting, which is how learning a language changes us as people and our cultural awareness. For example, the way of thinking of a culture is very much reflected in a language. It can be rather charming, analytical, very pleasing in our attempts to communicate. Or super direct. I think we really become aware of that when we start looking at different languages, wouldn't you say? Yes, I would definitely agree. And this is very obvious, I think. Well, with many languages, but if you compare English and German, this definitely comes to the forefront with things like directness. For instance, English is well known. I mean, stereotypically now, for kind of going around the houses a little bit, being quite indirect. Emphasizing politeness, not wanting to hurt people's feelings, not wanting to put people out. Whereas with German, again another generalization, <laughs> just seems very to the point. They don't <laughs> care. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, no. Just... This is no. This is a perfect example. You just said it. I was about to talk about、uh, you know a minute <laughs> trying to be nice and diplomatic, go around the houses a little bit, say Germans <laughs> just want to speak from heart without it. No, you just you, true yeah, that. You hit、yeah. the nail on the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think also、um, the historical influence shows on a language. For example, if there are tons of old idioms, we just mentioned one of them. I have a feeling that German is still very old-fashioned, and we use a lot of really old words. Yeah, that's the general impression. Without being able to think of a specific example off the top of my head, German can come across as antiquated. On the other hand, maybe a little bit clinical, very literal to the point.、Mm-hmm. I mean, descriptive. This, yeah,、mm-hmm. descriptive. That's that's probably nicer than clinical. It's very much say what you see, say what you mean. I definitely get the feeling that German is a lot more literal 
than English. Yes, yeah. And I would also say the motivation of uh, speaking German is usually to deliver information rather than sounding aesthetically pleasing or something. It's more about what are we getting out of this? That also has a lot to do with the not just the words, but also the sound structure, like how, mm -hmm. how it comes across. And the stress is usually at the beginning of the words. The mm -hmm. words are often disconnected from each other. So you go like, bup, 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 And it sounds a lot more kind of like a typewriter. <laughs> yeah. And I, I notice that when I speak English, I do the same thing sometimes. I feel like when you speak German, you're way more in your head thinking about the specifics of what you're going to say. And in English, you use way more words that are just expected of you it's weird i don't know how to explain it these words do not mean as much as in german i sometimes feel like that which is so out of habit a usage out of habit and i think in german you have that a little less the one main example would be this kind of semi-greeting this how are you <laughs> oh yeah Oof. you know germans do not understand the concept of rhetorical questions it is <laughs> it is existent of course we know what it is but we don't use it in that sense so ask a german a rhetorical question and he will give you a full answer to it <laughs> yes <laughs> right get the life story <laughs> <laughs> yes Yes, because we take it seriously and if we are not bothered about finding out, we won't ask. It's yeah. that easy. Whereas <laughs> in, in English, you can have a conversation and it will start with, Hi, are you all right? Yeah, you? Yeah, you? Yeah, you? And it would just be back and forth of like, are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Are you? It'll just go on. It means nothing. And even if you're having the worst day of your life, even if you've got so many horrible things going on, it's just basically like a little language dance of hellos mm -hmm. that's basically all mm -hmm. it is is just another extended hello it's almost really automatic you don't think about your answer it's it's expected of you to say yeah i'm good yeah yeah and in german what i notice is that sometimes if we see that somebody's having a bad day we avoid asking them how they are feeling because we don't want to make them uncomfortable thinking about it when you ask a german how are you he will start thinking about how he feels and you You don't want to put salt into that wound sometimes yeah. you would walk around and think oh hopefully nobody asks me how i'm feeling because i don't want to answer the question and an english person would probably never ever think about that they would just say yeah i'm good yeah. i mean germans do that too but they will still think about their answer yeah yeah Yeah, and this, this is also something as an English speaker learning German or speaking German. I mean, I still do it now. Everyone I see, I'll be like, hey, wie geht's? And just like automatically, I don't think about how that person might think, like suddenly panicking, like, oh, how am I? Oh, am I having a good day? Or am I feeling stressed? Am I feeling good? I would just expect like, gut, dir? And that, that would be like my answer as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that happens as well, especially since we're more exposed to English. I'm still having this second of shock where I'm like, oh, should I give a proper answer? What is the right answer? Oh, I'm gonna say this. <laughs> you know, it's more mindful in a way. I, I think the the English, again, with the generalizations, is very much used to keeping up appearances and basically lying through your teeth in order to in order to give, <laughs> Sometimes, to, give, yeah. to give this appearance that everything's okay and keep the conversation going and fulfill all these things that are expected of you in a kind of everyday conversation. 
I mean, it's interesting because I think it's the very same intention, but it's interpreted in a different way. English people probably don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable by loading their feelings on anybody. And Germans think they don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable by lying to them. Mm -hmm. They'd rather be honest. If you think about the word love, I say that all of the time, you hardly ever hear Germans say, oh, I love this or I love that. And it usually takes a long time until a German says to a person, and well I love you it's such a mindful process as well but in English you hear it all of the time I love this I love that oh <laughs> I hate this I hate that it takes me quite some time to use the word hate or love that's really as a German true. yeah ich hasse das. no yeah you're right that's that sounds a it's lot strong yeah. <laughs> this is one thing actually that I I needed to learn about the word love as well because we use it a lot more kind of almost flippantly in English To mm -hmm. not necessarily mean you're my one true love, but also you just say to a friend, oh, I love you. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I like I love you us. a lot. Yeah. You could say to a friend, all right, see you later. I love you or something like that. In German, mm -hmm. if you said that, ich liebe dich, it makes it sound like Ooh, <laughs> let's yes. get married or something. That is deep, yes. <laughs> That's very strong. <laughs> that is deep, especially in Northern England. People would say, hey, love, a lot of the times yeah. to random strangers. Hi, love, how are you? doing how can you call a random person love or darling you usually hear that from prostitutes in germany but it's not a usual common thing it's it's a very very common thing like even where i come from in essex mm -hmm. like for instance i would go to the bank here if you go to the bank if you're lucky you might get like a Gott or something like that sometimes they just look at you you don't you, do you know what I mean like you, you don't know what you're gonna get I walk into my bank and it's like hi honey what can I do for you and it's like, exactly she calls me honey <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 coming from such a culture to Austria Germany I kind of get how it would give you a harsh aftertaste but yeah. also it is way more honest and truthful that's one impression that i got was that in the german-speaking world truthfulness honesty is valued a lot more than keeping up appearances for instance again like with directness if you wanted to say no or if you wanted to say no i don't want to go to this party here in austria you might just get like nein or geht nicht or Uh, jetzt nicht or something like that you might just get yeah. something quite direct whereas in England you might get something like hmm, I'm not quite sure I really like the sound of that idea or do you know what I mean you might just get like <laughs> this long paragraph of a nice dancing around uh, in circles right yeah yeah <laughs> I'd rather not not the, the double no thing yes. that I find interesting as well <laughs> yeah like if someone suggests something and in your head you think this is a terrible idea, but then you actually say, could do, but in your head it's just like, this is the last thing I want nah. to do. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. I just thought about one thing as well. Um, sometimes you notice some shortcomings in your own language. I just came up with a thing that I noticed in English. So if you, as a German, have ever been in a relationship with an English person, This will sound very familiar to you. If you're in the getting to know each other stage and maybe you're trying to find out where you stand with each other and the other person says, oh, I'm meeting my friend tonight. 
You just feel more confused after they gave you this information than before. And let me explain that to you. <laughs> Because, first of all, you don't know whether they're meeting a guy or a girl. It's just a friend. And you would have to ask, well, is it actually a man or a woman you're seeing tonight? <laughs> so you would have further questions, right? And then they say, my friend. And in German, if you say a friend it's clear it's just a random friend but if you say my friend mein freund meine freundin is usually your boyfriend girlfriend so yeah. you have all the information you need in one sentence you won't have to ask any further questions and i find that so annoying in the english language hearing people say I'm meeting my friend tonight and you're like what does that actually mean it means <laughs> nothing <laughs> yes totally and it It's led to some confusion also with like same-sex partnerships as well. Because when I yes. first come over here and I was talking to someone, a colleague of mine, and then in conversation I said, mein Freund. And then mm -hmm. she, you know, getting that I'm from England, she tried to correct me and she was just like, ah, you mean deine Freundin. And I was just like, <laughs> no, no, mein Freund. And then she said, ah, ein Freund von dir. And she oh, like, tried wow. to correct it like that because Freund could be boyfriend or just friend. And then when I was just like, no, mein Freund. And she was like, oh. <laughs> it was yeah. like, oh, okay. You were completely clear on what you said. Yeah, and absolutely. But she was aware that we don't have the same distinction. And she thought that was a mistake. So, yeah, that, that's happened once or twice to me. Interesting, yeah. Also, I think the making up of new words is quite interesting. It works in any language, basically, but especially in German, I find it interesting because you can just add word to word to word and create a whole new word and have these huge words in the end. Yes. It can be quite creative. Yeah, I love it. I spoke to someone the other week and the example she gave was you can just make up any word and if you're someone who likes to stroke cats you're a katzenstreichler and yeah. you can just say yeah. that <laughs> you can't possibly list every single word there is because you can just make up a new one and it's completely fine it's accepted as an official word if it makes sense it leads me to one of my favorite words in German ever it's so much fun to pronounce are you ready? Yes, go on. Rindfleischetikettierungsüberwachungsaufgabenübertragungsgesetz. Wow, you know that by heart. Wow. I love that word. It's amazing. It's like my party piece. Well done. <laughs> and, and the thing is, it is not an official word. It is a made-up word, but still, it is correct. Yeah, but this is the thing with learning German, going back to the whole learning about your own language thing. Everyone sees German as a language where wow you can create so many compound words it's this really unique thing and then you look at your own language and realize actually you can do that in english too but just most of the time you have a space between the words so exactly the, it's still a compound phrase and you can you know someone who stroke cats you can call them a cat stroker it sounds weird but it's it's grammatically okay But with German, you just smush it together and it becomes one long word. What you just mentioned, it's what happens oftentimes when German speakers speak English. They just add these words as they would do in German and it doesn't necessarily work in English. Although you do understand what they mean, but yeah. it's not common. And also if we look at 
other aspects about ourselves, I think learning a language is really a grounding or humbling experience as well. I personally notice changes in personality or views about the world. The ideas you get through a new language because you learn completely new words. I think there are so many realizations and revelations also. Learning German especially, it kind of gets you to break down your own language. In German, like we said before, it's very literal. You know, a, a squid or, or something like that. Tintenfish. You can say, mm -hmm. oh, inkfish. <laughs> you can kind of break yeah. it down. And then you start to look back to English and start to like break down the words there to see what you can find. And if you kind of look back to maybe some etymology and stuff, English can do the same thing. You just mm -hmm. can't really see it anymore. It's not as pronounced, right? Yeah. yeah. But I also think on a personal level, you learn so many soft skills through a new language. For example, what it taught me is to have way more patience with myself and others, being more tolerant or even polite. We learn so much about our identity and through the culture we grew up in and the language we learned. And that does something to us. And learning new approaches is kind of a reflection of what we learned so far. And there are different approaches we could also consider taking, you know? Yeah, definitely. When you speak one language and you have a certain way of thinking, if you then break out of that and you learn another language, if you learn that language well, you need to get into the heads of the people who speak that language. Yes, and that can, totally. That can be a completely different way of thinking and seeing the world as you're mm -hmm. used to. I mean, the only example I can think of right on the spot is back to the whole directness thing but it can kind of make you think, okay, it doesn't need to be this whole kind of flowery going around the houses thing. You can also express things in, a, in an honest and direct way. And be respectful about it. You can choose your yeah. words wisely, but still say it how it is. I agree. In the long run, I think learning a new language does also have an influence on the use of the mother tongue. Sometimes I feel like it, it gets worse. We're not on the highest level speaking a foreign language, but our own mother tongue suffers a bit at times. <laughs> Then, you know, mixing things up. And do yes. you have that experience often? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I've caught myself saying things like, can you remember me to do something? So like from <laughs> Inan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you remember me to pick some money up? Things like that or... One thing that I didn't notice I do a lot more in my English is say things like, ah, yeah. It's like if I, th yeah. if, if I think of something <laughs> or saying like, nah, and I, I would just never mm -hmm. do that. All these kind of little filler sounds, words and things like that, they just become so ingrained and you start using them in your English. Would you say you've changed a lot over the past 10 years? Is there a big difference between the look from 10 years ago and the look now based on the experience you had in Austria and the changes you were going through? It's difficult to say whether those changes are directly due to living in Austria, speaking German or whether it just comes with growing up in general. I think that I've got a lot more confident. Mm -hmm. I'm quite an introvert person. But that moment of moving to another country, I don't think anyone would have thought I would have been able to cope with that. Breaking out and just doing that, it's boosted my confidence a lot. And then having to talk to people who I don't know in order to practice German, that's boosted my confidence a lot. And even just the way things are done here. Okay, I'll give you an example. In a shop mm -hmm. in England, if there is a long queue for the till and you want another till to be opened, you either just wait or you tut, you just go... 
<laughs> or you might yeah, yeah, yeah. go to the manager and say like can you open another till or something like that it's a little passive aggressive maybe yeah like doing the oh. <laughs> exactly yeah you just kind of keep it to yourself or you just go to an assistant but here mm -hmm. honestly people just scream out casa pite <laughs> <laughs> It's so true, yeah. At the beginning, that was so uncomfortable. But over time, you just kind of adapt. And then if there's if the queue's too long, you just... Casa! <laughs> like, yeah. till, please. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, no one's going to look at you weirdly for shouting, literally shouting it out in a shop that's really quiet. <laughs> no one will think you're weird. <laughs> yeah, so in that sense, did you have a couple of really funny cultural experiences during your time in Austria. Related to that, it's more like a culture shock, the example that I'm thinking of. It's another shop one. And I think that in the UK, at least, parts of the UK I've been to, there's a real emphasis on customer service, the customer experience, and so on. You get things like, you're right, honey, how are you doing today? Do you need any help packing? And things like that. There's like a bit of mm -hmm. a conversation here you know you buy your eggs and you buy your energy drinks and they will just grab it and they'll throw it to the end of the till it doesn't matter if things get broken if you've got a fizzy drink woof, it goes to the end of the till which and is they completely true yeah yeah and they won't look at you again generalizations there are some lovely people working in shops but you know sometimes they they'll just give you the price without looking at you they'll throw the receipt and the thing is in the uk your turn is only finished when you've packed all your things you put them in your trolley and you've left and then the next mm -hmm. person will be served here mm -hmm. your stuff can be in a mess at the end of the till you've got your receipt and then it's the next person and they're throwing their stuff in with your stuff and it's just coming down and then the person behind you is tutting because you're not quick enough packing and it's a very stressful situation <laughs> oh, we can agree that a supermarket experience in German and Austria is super stressful it mm -hmm. is very true and sometimes even if you don't have your cash quick enough it's still a cash culture right so you have to collect all your coins and blah yes. and then the people start um, making these noises like oh, yeah. like don't take so long like it's like a speak competition or something it really is it's, it's very very stressful and then you've got like a queue building up and then if you're the reason that someone shouts out casa bitte and I'm just oh, like no yeah. I caused it no oh. <laughs> and they make you feel it they make yes. you feel that they do and they, they will move forward with their trolley pushing you <laughs> like towards <laughs> the end very yeah. stressful situation so, summing all things up that we spoke about why would you say should people learn a new language what are I... the benefits I don't think there are really any disadvantages. I mean, it depends on your situation. It's a very individual thing. You need to have the right motivation. On the one hand, you know, it's a, it's a good challenge. It's good for your brain. Um, but also it just opens doors, not to sound like cliche again, but you can talk to more people. You can go to more places and experience those places mm -hmm. like the locals. You just get to know a completely different side of the place. If you yes. speak English in Austria, or if you speak Austrian, or oh, speak Austrian, I'm gonna please delete that. But. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna delete that. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
I did it myself. <laughs> okay, that's staying in. <laughs> if you speak German in Austria, is <laughs> what I wanted to say. You see a different side of the people. You see a different side of the country. You get to experience the culture from the inside rather than as an observer from the outside. And I would also say it increases empathy around the world. Just yeah. learning about different cultures through a language even, it creates understanding and empathy after all. And you can kind of understand people a bit better why they might say certain things in a certain yeah. way. You, Where you they're know, coming if, from. Yeah, if you meet, say, a German person and they come across as a little bit abrupt or a little bit direct and you you think oh what a rude person but then you get to know the language you get to know the culture and you kind of think they're not being rude that's the way things are done they're being honest and that might be a sign of respect that they exactly. respect you enough to be honest with you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and in that sense would you like to see a change in england for example for more language course offers at school especially for german maybe or more networks for working abroad and you know networking between english and german people i'm a little bit out of it just because i haven't lived and worked in england for a while so i'm not a hundred percent on the current status but mm -hmm. i know the trend of german being offered less and less and i think that's a shame and i think it ought to be offered at least as an option you know give people the opportunity in school to choose it if they want to i know there's mm -hmm. a practical side of it as well you need teachers who can teach it but i i would definitely like to see a, a broader range of languages in general being offered beyond french and spanish as being the mm -hmm. main ones yeah um, yeah that yeah. would be wonderful also to have exchange programs for students and such it, it wasn't a thing even in my days at school <laughs> we yeah. couldn't go to england yeah you know brexit happened and Mm -hmm. that's going to have a, a bit of an impact if it hasn't already, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But I can only hope that despite Brexit, despite Corona, etc., that schools on an individual basis, but also on the more national level, that they're going to keep up the efforts to, you know, have these exchange programs and keep the connection. It doesn't have to end, I don't think, because yeah. we're not being part of the EU anymore. And I think that's an important point as well. Even though the political situation might have changed loads, you can still entertain private relationships and build that network and exchange thoughts and ideas. And it's so important and uh, valuable as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of value in finding your own opportunities like tandems, for instance. You don't need a program for that. There are opportunities to do that for free and you can just meet people and talk to them online and have the the 21st century version of a pen pal kind of, kind of mm -hmm, thing that you can mm -hmm. do that completely of your own accord obviously you know actually having exchange programs and living in the country i don't think there's anything that can really beat that so luke at the very end of this podcast episode i want to play another game with you which is called the rapid fire round rapid fire round <laughs> Should I be nervous? <laughs> Just be really spontaneous. I'm gonna ask you for five things, five of your most favorite Austrian and German things. 
you just say whatever comes to mind, right? Okay. So your most favorite Austrian or German dish? I love Kaiserschmarrn. It, it was one of the first things that I was kind of exposed to as being typically Austrian and German. It is a thing in Germany, right? Yeah, yeah. I just love it so much. It's basically like, it's like a pancake, but before it gets to like a pancake form, you just like smush it up <laughs> in the pan mm -hmm. and it's like mm -hmm. balls of pancakey dough and you have it with like icing sugar or applesauce or something like that. And, Do you eat uh, it with raisins or without them? With raisins, yes. I used to make it all the time as well. Good one. <laughs> so your favorite movie or actor? Okay. Austrian I, or German? I think my favorite actors are the one we mentioned earlier, Robert, I've forgotten his Heilfrieder? name again. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and Maria Hofstetter. Choosing them firstly because I really like them and secondly because they're the only ones I know. <laughs> But my favorite movie... I have to be completely honest, I haven't watched that many German language original movies. I've watched mainly dubs of English movies into German. And I um, completely understand why you wouldn't. <laughs> Sorry to say, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's no, that's fine. The, um, well, I've watched a few of the movies from... Ulrich Seidel, I think his name is. Okay, okay. so Paradies Liebe, Paradies Glaube and um, import, export, things like that. So your favorite holiday in Austria or Germany? I think it also has to be like Christmas time just because of the Christmas markets. It's just, we have little versions of it in the UK exported from Germany, but actually experiencing it here, it's just, it's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. I just love walking around the little wooden huts and buying a big pretzel and <laughs> having some <laughs> punch and it's really just wonderful and um is there a favorite singer or band from austria or germany that you have i have a few i oh. really like namika she has a couple of songs that i i really like and a couple of my songs of hers are like my favorite um, German language songs but also there's a local band in Vienna called Euphonics and I love them mm -hmm. so much they're wonderful really really good and this is more focused on Austria what's your favorite vacation destination in Austria I love Salzburg I love the fact that you can be in the new part of the city and then cross over the river and you're suddenly in this old part of the city like the old town I love Innsbruck. You're in a city, but you're surrounded by mountains. It's kind of a bit of a, a clash for me. Mm -hmm. I love it. Gives you a sound of music feeling as well. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But also, I have to say, maybe I'm a bit biased because I live here. Vienna, such a great city. So it many is. people complain about it living here. They say Vienna's horrible. The Viennese people are grumpy. And la, 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 la. It's an amazing <laughs> city. I love it so much. There's so much to do, so much to see. Beautiful architecture. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. There is just something for everyone. Yeah, I, I can't recommend Vienna enough. I think it's a really, really wonderful place. 
Yeah, lovely. Thank you so much, Luke. It was a lovely conversation. There's one more thing I would like to ask you, and that's choosing a song that we put on our playlist that you would recommend or that you personally like a lot. It has to be one from Namika. I think I'm going to go for Lieblingsmensch. I love that song so much. So calming, so optimistic. It just makes you feel really, really good. I love it. That's gonna go in the playlist. I'm gonna add uh, one as well, which is Sam Fender, 17 Going Under. <laughs> nice, um, that's a good start. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much. It was really, really lovely speaking to you. And thank you for taking the time. It was proper interesting. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully we'll continue this at some point. That would be really awesome. Absolutely. Yes, I would love to. Bye bye, Luke. Bye. Now, what a great guy and what an amazing conversation. I had so much fun. Don't forget to check out Luke's podcast, Yellow of the Egg, on Spotify or any other podcast platform of your choice. Please don't forget to check out his Instagram as well. Give him a follow. The handle is Yote Podcast, spelled Y-O-T-E. I'm gonna link all you need to know in our show notes. The second season of Yellow of the Egg is coming. Luke's podcast is all about exploring the German language and linguistics. He speaks to special guests every episode, to learners, university professors, amateur linguistics and teachers and they discuss for instance ways to learn German, Germanisms in the English language or gender in German. So if you're interested in the German language, check out Luke's podcast. You will have great fun. Do you want to be a guest on my podcast? Please feel free to message me. I'm very curious to hear your story. Please let me know how you like the episode, your thoughts on what we discussed. Your feedback is always welcome. I appreciate it so much. And don't forget to follow Hitting the Bridge on Instagram as well. You will find additional content. Don't miss out on that. So thank you and bye bye.